Into the Englands is here. Full spoiler revealed. Every set, what we love to do is talk about the brand new deck building cores that the set introduces. So today we got six cores for you to discuss. And this time we're even going to give you some starter deck lists. Nothing crazy, nothing meta defining with these deck lists, but we are going to give you deck lists to utilize with the cores. Let's break into it. I will say this much. Legendaries? Yep. They're pretty good, this set, guys. Let's get into it. Into the Inkland deck building cores. Very often we always get asked, what is a deck building core? So for us, Disney Arcana Packages, the core deck building blocks, groups of cards that form a cohesive portion of a deck strategy, points the cards towards a common theme in deck building, towards a deck instead of simply a collection of good cards, forms the basis of a deck, but does not answer all of the deck's weaknesses, and each ink color has multiple sub-themes that these packages address, identifying how they synergize with one another allows you to see the power that each ink provides. Number one is the Amber Swarm Good Boy Squad. And in this one, we really do have a phenomenal amount of new Amber cards in a core deck building strategy. Probably more than we've ever had before. In general, we've had good singers, but there's only a few and far between them. We've had just like good cards aggro. But in this particular setting here, we have multiple layers and five truly brand new cards to introduce to the Amber Swarm package, along with a gigantic 9-9 beast that we'll talk about in a second. So let's talk about Perdita. Whenever you play this character and whenever she quests, you may play a character with cost two or less from your discard pile for free. She's a six cost, uninkable, two lore, one six. Uh, this character is pretty great. You get value right away. Uh, even kind of just bringing back a Zimba for a nice little bodyguard unit. You can bring back the piglet that you see on screen here. Uh, it just has some layers to it for sure. And it's going to be one of those cards that has the ability to very quickly bring back a powerful character that you can utilize moving forward. Piglet is a two-cost inkable 2-2 two -two with one lore and the ability of And I'm the Captain. When you have two or more other characters in play, this gains two lore. So effectively, this is a two-cost inkable 2-2 two -two with three lore in most cases. Uh, as long as you have a one cost on one and then piglet on two and then just play a character on three, all of a sudden your one and two character are now swinging for more lore. Definitely a little bit above curve being a three lore character for two that's inkable. Yes, there's conditions, but hey, we just go with it. The next combination here are the Pluto package. Pluto being a one cost, zero, two, one lore with the ability of good dog, which is just tap this. You pay one less for your next character you play this term. Uh, it's effectively a lantern, but on a character that only costs one. It definitely sets up plays that enable you to play three costs on turn three, which is really powerful. It also has the ability to enable your own Pluto um, Floodborne, which is the seven cost inkable three eight with two lore and bodyguard, along with the ability of guard dog at the start of your turn, remove up to three damage from this character. So on turn four, you can actually shift into the Pluto, giving yourself a gigantic, and I do mean gigantic, bodyguard character. Very difficult for your opponent to get through. Lastly here, we have Pongo. 
which is a three-cost inkable 3-2 with one lore and the ability of Twilight Bark. Once per turn, you may pay two resources to reveal the top card of your deck. If it's a character card, put it into your hand. Otherwise, put it on the bottom of your deck. This is introducing just a fluent way to draw cards uh, for Amber decks that don't require you to always have to be reliant on cards like Rapunzel, etc. So... All in all, he adds a nice little layer of draw power to the deck. And the last, of course, is the massive Chernabog 10-cost uninkable 9-9 with 3 lore. And he has the ability of the power of evil for each character card in your discard. You pay one less to play this card. And then once you do play him, you shuffle all of those characters from your discard pile back into your deck. Meaning you can't just spam out more than one of these in a given turn. Because he does eventually become a 10-cost character. So this definitely is a brand new... You know, if we played four of all these cards here, you're talking six times four, 24 new cards in a deck, which is absolutely a pretty gigantic uh, change, like, turn of events. And it's definitely worth noting that this is potentially one of the better cores moving forward. Pluto offers a ton... Uh, both of the Dalmatians offer a ton. Piglet being the value that he is is great. And nine nines for like three or four resources is a pretty powerful turn of events in a game. Also kind of refilling. There is a little bit of a Nambo there with Pedetra and Chernabog. So you have to make sure, you know, which one of those cards you're trying to utilize best, of course. But in some cases, you probably don't need to play both of those in a given deck. So just to give everybody a little idea of what a good boy squad can deck can look like, uh, Pluto into Doc is really, really valuable. Still having cards like Beast and uh, Rapunzel to kind of draw up more cards. Having characters like Piglin, Zimba to kind of protect everything going on and getting them back. Utilizing Cinderella with the song package of the Bare Necessities, Let the Storm Rage On, Strength of a Raging Fire... Uh, all still very, very good. And even just if you want to try out a couple locations in here, you can utilize the Bayou to kind of help you get out Chernabogs uh, earlier. Not to mention you can discard a Chernabog early to itself and then shuffle it back in. Lots of really interesting play lines here for this deck. Again, remember, this is just kind of like a day one deck, kind of giving you an idea of what the core could look like and how it can be utilized to start with. I would definitely recommend... Uh, fitting this to your own style, adding in the cards that you think are worth it. But we really did feel the need to showcase the deck list today. Uh, it's one of our biggest comments from before in the cores videos of seeing a total deck list to go along with the core itself. Let's talk about Pirates. One of my favorite cards in the set is John Silver. This card is bananas. And honestly, Mr. Smee is also really, really good. Let me know in the comments what your favorite cards are from England's are. Let's talk about some Pirates, though. John Silver, three cost, inkable, three, three, one lore with the ability of chart your own course. For each location you have in play, this character gains resist plus one and plus one lore. That's right. This card is insane. <laughs> it's It can really get out of hand. It can really be a problematic three cost card that sometimes just conveniently has four lore and resist three and your opponent is staring at it going, how the hell do I interact with that? And there is not a lot of great ways to do so. Mr. Smee is a two-cost, 3-3, three, three, inkable, two-lore 
with the ability of, oh, dear, dear, dear. At the end of your turn, if this character is exerted and you don't have a captain character in play, deal one damage to this character. Totally worth it. Being a two-cost 3-3 with two lore is all really insane things. If anybody remembers what uh, Snake did in Rise of the Floodborne, that character required you to return a card to your hand and also only had one lore. Yes, oh dear, dear, kind of hurt you, but there are ways around it with the captains you can see next to us here. Captain Hook makes a return. The Forceful Duelist, we can say they never really went away, but Captain Hook... Uh, thinking Happy Thoughts is another potential addition to this deck for kind of other reasons, but still a very powerful card that happens to also be a captain. Don't forget that John Silver, also a captain. But then, of course, we have the locations like Jolly Roger and even Maui's Place of Exile being working very, very well with Mr. Smee as well. It actually gives him Resist 1 while it's there, so it negates the ability uh, and of course, you know, when in doubt, you can Jolly Roger instantly move Mr. Smee there to be a 3-3 rusher that's inkable. Um, and then obviously Nottingham, the Bayou, all very cheap and efficient. All these locations cost two or less. So you're kind of able to have one in play early for John Silver. And then the following turn, just load up on locations, spread out your lore throughout different locations and just have John Silver be a massive lore battery for you and when in doubt he can also just swing into stuff with resist a million and really be effective so here's just an early pirate's core uh just some very straightforward cards to work with the addition here of playing the brand new captain hook getting jim hawkins into play to play some of these things for free and i know it doesn't look like there's that much uh location gain from jim but just being able to play a additional resources for free, gaining some extra lore along the way, comboing with John Silver, all really good things that you kind of can't look down on. You can also add in even more. Like I said, you can have the Maui's place here as well. This is just more of a stock list, understanding some of the things that this deck might need because Ruby and Steel do not have a super efficient amount of draw power. You're going to have to make some kind of questionable decisions of what you want to do and how you want to move forward in the game and it cards like a whole new world which might be a pretty common theme in the inklands metagame is a reason enough to play these cards as you can see it's another way to utilize captain hook in your rush scenarios and in the end beast will always draw you cards the addition of queen of hearts might be a bit of a reach but it does kind of enable your challengers to kind of grant you additional draw power which is really hard to come by in this particular ink combination all in all again this is just a starter deck to show you off the core show you some of the things that can do definitely upgradable in many ways uh hope you guys are enjoying these type of deck lists if you let if you let me know in the comments below how you feel about the decklist addition to this again in past videos we didn't include decklists in the cores and kind of left it up for debate we felt it was necessary to Add some in to give you guys a kind of a general full scope of what it could look like. Definitely very, very early deck list, day one deck list. These are not refined in any which way. Let's get into the next core. So the infamous Jafar Lore Bomb. Jafar Lamp Thief is a three cost inkable 2-2 two, two, with two lore and the ability of I am your master now. When you play this character, look at the top two cards of your deck. Put one of them on top of your deck, the other on the bottom. is just the 
additional piece of Jafar's. As you can see here, we have uh, the Jafar's from Rise of the Floodborne, the 3 2 Evasive, and the 3 4 Dreadnought. They are all here for one very particular reason, which is, of course, Jafar Striking Illusionist, the seven cost inkable, four strength, five willpower, one lore, shift five, evasive, with the ability of power beyond measure. During your turn, wildest character is exerted. Whenever you draw a card, gain one lore. The perfect addition of the lamp, which is the two-cost inkable item, good or evil ability, which is banish this item. If you have a character named Jafar in play, draw two cards. If you have a character named Genie in play, return chosen character with cost four or less to their player's hand, which of course is very reasonable uh, to play both of those cards in a deck like this. But it all is once again around a whole new world, which the lore behind that is even funnier uh, with Jafar singing a whole new world to effectively gain seven or more lore in a given term. And you can position yourself in the game to sing multiple a whole new worlds this turn that you shift Jafar, which means you can be gaining the uprates of 14 or more lore in a given term, which is pretty impressive. Let's take a look at the deck list for this. Here is the core's version of the Jafar combo. This is very um, all in, I would say, on the combo. Utilizing as much draw power and sifting as possible, along with giving yourself potential to have multiple five-cost cards or above in play the turn that you play Jafar. So when you a whole new world, if you're able to capitalize on that and draw the second whole new world, you actually have the ability to just gain 14 or more Lorna turn, which is pretty insane. It's also very committed to having 16 shiftable Jafars. The Tinkerbell with the Tiny Tactician is another way. Going a turn slower might be better. Rather than trying to win on turn 5, trying to set up a turn 6 by playing a card like Beast is a really great strategy for this deck. I don't think you need to be super all-in on the idea of having this turn 5 craziness when you can kind of play a more steady game, play a little more removal if you have to shift in Tinkerbell and grab your swords, things like that. Uh, gaining all of the benefit from Blue Fairy with Beast, Yizma, Tinkerbell, Jafar, all of those things are really important to leverage the game overall and have another way to win the game outside of just the Jafar combo. The Queen's Castle makes the addition here, which is absolutely a ridiculous location. Probably can argue that that card can be even more than two because just playing it is insane. But all in all, this is just a starter build for the deck, just kind of showcasing you really how powerful Jafar can be. But I think you'll see through playing it, there is definitely plenty of interaction for this deck. So it might be a little overhyped in general, but it's still a very powerful thing that you can be doing in the game. And if your opponent doesn't answer it and just kind of can't interact with what you're doing, you absolutely can just gain like, 14 plus lore in a turn in some situations you can even set it up to where you're gaining uh 16 or more lore pretty effectively and easily in all honesty so definitely a deck to watch out for there will be many versions of this deck i think moving forward it won't shock me if this is one of the more powerful ink combinations in the into the inklands scenario Three cores down, three to go. Let me know in the description below what type of decks you've been trying out already. Uh, there's definitely some really fun new things to be doing. It does feel a little bad that most of the things 
you can be doing are from legendaries. But if we take price out of the factor, because honestly, some of these legendaries are going to be 30 or 40 or $50 most likely, it is very cool to see that legendary slot really living up to the hopes of it is from the designers. The designers say that most cards get a legendary staple because of a truly unique concept or mechanic within the game. And most of the cards in Into the Inklands really do have and live up to that moniker. So I'm as, as a deck builder, I'm very excited for it. I think it's going to bring a lot of new creativity to deck building. And it's really great to see that from the legendary mechanic. I know price is going to suck, but hey, guys, sometimes we got to kind of just roll with the punches and move on. It'll be really cool to see a bunch of new deck lists that could potentially break the metagame in different fashions. If you are enjoying this type of content, make sure you hit like for me. If you're not yet, hit subscribe because we've got plenty more Into the Inklands coming. Here we go. Let's get three more cores. Ursula, Deceiver of All, three cost, inkable, two strength, three willpower, one lore, with the ability of what a deal. Whenever this character sings a song, you may play that song again from your discard pile for free, then put it on the bottom of your deck. As you can see here, lots of prime targets. Uh, friends on the other side, let the storm rage on, I've got a dream, the bare necessities. Strike a Good Match, Bibbidi, Bobbidi Boo, Mother's Knows Best, and Sudden Chill are all phenomenal additions to Ursula. And there's even more that aren't even on this list. They're still pretty powerful. So here's a core Ursula build. I definitely could have also made this uh, an Emerald Steel and included a whole new world because why not? Every deck could be playing a whole new world right now. But seriously, if we take a look at this one, we just have uh, a general Amethyst Emerald aggro deck with the bounce package, which is pretty great, pretty powerful still. Having the ability to just draw so many cards in this deck or when you need to make your opponent discard multiple cards uh, with the addition of the new Ursula Deceiver, the two-cost inkable, one-three, one lore that when she comes into play, you can look at your opponent's hand and remove a song from it, is Really a good addition on that curve against certain decks where you can just play Ursula and then Ursula and then double Sudden Chill if you have to. Double Mother Knows Best might also be one of the most incredible tempo swings in the game. If on turn three you're able to, or if on turn four you're able to just double bounce your opponent's cards and set them back really far in the game, could be very problematic. Uh, all in all, I think this deck is pretty interesting. It has a lot of very powerful lines and can kind of just win a game through war of attrition draw out drawing your opponent uh utilizing cards like mother's Nest best and sudden chill to really remove your opponent's threats is pretty great it's pretty straightforward definitely uh the queen's castle is an all-star in this having seven willpower having the ability to interact so easily and so well through your own removal and kind of just utilizing the mims and the merlins to get you through the game can just kind of allow Queen's Castle to slowly draw you cards and just passively gain two lore. All really powerful things. This is, again, starter build. Definitely can work and make this deck even more powerful and fitting to your style. But in the end, it's really just showcasing how powerful Ursula can be with so many different and versatile songs. Grandma Tala in the Tala Ramp. So the seven cost, inkable, four strength, eight willpower, two lore with shift five, and do you know who you are? 
Whenever a card is put into your inkwell, gain one lore. This card may very well be the most problematic of all of them. Uh, yeah, she costs seven, but the eight willpower really does remove a lot of potential one-for-one -one trades for this character, meaning that your opponent has to do even more to get rid of her. Not to mention she's in the Sapphire uh, in combination, so you can have a card like Cogsworth give her Resist 1, or you can play a card like Aurora, which can give her Ward. So you can definitely make it even more problematic and a lot closer to a potential negative play experience. The additional Into the Inklands cards here are all really, really good, though. Montanui being a two-cost, uh, one to move to, five willpower with one lore, and the ability of Reincarnation. Whenever a character is banished while here, you may put that card into your inkwell face down and exert it. Uh, the Heart of Tefiti, How Far I'll Go, Friend Like Me is another phenomenal song here. Having the five-cost inkable song that when you play it, each player puts the top three cards of the deck into the inkwell and exert it means if Grandma Tala is in play, you just gain three lore from playing this card as well. It definitely takes away from the potential uh, feels bads of your opponent using the ink first if you gain three lore from the ink to begin with. And of course, Mama Odie is a new addition as well. She's very interesting. Uh, three cost, uninkable, one three with one lore and the ability of this going to be good. Whenever you play a song, you may put the top part of your deck into your inkwell face down. The interesting thing about Grandma Tala is that all of these cards can be played early to accelerate to Grandma Tala. But unlike before, where if you were to draw a ramp card later on in the game, it feels mostly useless because you've already kind of done what you did. Now, continuing to ramp only grants you lore. So it really puts a natural clock on your opponent, knowing that from the moment Grandma Tala hits play, every time you play an ink, every time you play additional ink, it's putting your opponent one step closer to winning the game, and they don't ever have to make Grandma Tala challengeable. She can very much just sit and play and be a passive character that gains you passive lore through the game, which is really problematic, and again, forcing so many less ways of answering her really going to cards like Dragonfire and let it go hades maleficent they're all like the single target problematic cards obviously a be prepared as well but it does remove a ton of steel answers to it needing um like a smash and a long came zeus to be able to get rid of this card so you would need two cards to get rid of just her um, I think that this card definitely has the potential to be a powerhouse in the game once people start figuring out the best ways to really provide it. Listen, I think Grandma Tala fits really, really well right into the current uh, Steel Sapphire decks, but it was another a whole new world deck. I'm trying to diversify here, guys, which is why we have a Ruby Sapphire deck instead. Just... I'm just kind of showcasing the ability of Grandma Tala. Don't shoot me in the comments. I know for a fact that she's better in other ink combinations. Trying to give everybody some ideas, though. Let's check out this deck. So here we have a Ruby Sapphire Grandma Tala deck. Uh, trying to use the Mama Odie here, too, with the ability of I've Got a Dream, Teeth and Ambition, Friend Like Me, Let It Go, and Be Prepared as all potential songs to utilize with her. The fact that she can actually sing Teeth and Ambition herself 
gain you an ink and still be in play, I think is pretty interesting. Uh, utilizing cards like RLS Legacy and Montanui with Jim Hawkins seems great. Having Maui as a general answer to all things that are problematic to you is wonderful. Playing the Cogsworth early could be a very interesting route, kind of just giving yourself uh, the five-cost character if you need them to sing Friends, uh, Friends Like Me, to really ramp out Grandma Tally even faster. This deck does a lot of ramping, and of course you have to include the Hiram and Popsicle. What I do think for sure is that Bell, Strange But Not Special, got a huge bump because of Grandma Tella. The idea that you can now freely play cards from your hand earlier and gain Link and gain the ink and the lore because of Tella, kind of accelerating yourself to that 10 means that you're okay putting out Bell earlier because they might actually have to use their single target removal on the Grandma Tala and then take the five lore from Bell anyway. I've always said in the past that the biggest problem with Bell is that she was too linear of a way to win the game, that your opponent just had to know, like, all I really have to do is answer their bells, where now cards like Grandma Tala are a, actually a bigger threat that leave cards like Bell, Cogsworth, and... Uh, even Hades around longer to still gain their lore, which I think is a huge, huge deal. Jim Hawkins adding in additional uh, potential threat, putting in RLS legacies and things like that. This deck looks like a pretty different version of Popsicles, but still utilizing the best of all worlds. I would not classify this as a top tier meta deck in any which way, but if you're looking to try something different that isn't just another a whole new world deck, it might be... Just something fun that you can bring to your league uh, the first week if that's what you're into. Last but not least, Jim Hawkins location control. I think Jim Hawkins, from the very first moment we saw him, we were very excited about it. Uh, I like to bring up this skit over and over again, but on a podcast like two months ago, I said what we need for Ruby Amethyst to go away is locations to be really good and Ruby and Amethyst to not get anything good with locations. And it, it's almost as if Robinsberger heard me say it and then laughed, knowing that Jim Hawkins is coming, RLS Legacy be coming, the Queen's Castle were coming. All of these cards are so phenomenal together that it has the potential that the best location deck is actually Ruby Amethyst Control. I know, guys, nobody wants to hear that, but hey, it's possible. Let's take a look at the deck list. So here is the core Jim locations. It really does look like uh, a general bounce deck. What we're really doing is we're able to remove the end game, like not play Ursula's, not play uh, Elsa's or Maleficent's. We're now just supplementing them for locations. Passive lore gain that have the ability to give us additional other um, avenues. There is a world where you might want to trade Agrabah for the Jolly Roger to double down on the Peter Pan shadow ability. But right now, I'm looking to gain the most benefit out of Jim Hawkins in this list. So having a Agrabah that costs three gets you more benefit and more resources back for your Jim Hawkins plays. But in all honesty, you know, a normal play line for this deck is control the game early through the Snake and the Madam Mim anyway, and then play the Queen's Castle on four, follow up with Jim Hawkins to play RLS Legacy, and all of a sudden you just have so much willpower in play and you're gaining so much passive lore that it's really forcing your opponent to like kind of find a way to beat you and rush and outrush you. But when you're gaining a passive four lore turn from 14 willpower of locations, it actually can feel really oppressive. 
So what we didn't want to happen at all, it's very possible that it did. And location decks might actually be really good because Jim Hawkins and the bounce package. So anyone that's thinking that this deck is just going to go away, I, I don't I don't think I would bet on that. I'm not sitting here saying that this is still the best deck in the game and it's going to be 60% of the meta or anything like that. But if you're just looking to upgrade your Ruby Amethyst deck week one while everyone's trying to figure everything out, there's not that many new cards in this deck. Jim Hawkins is probably going to be a $30 or $40 legendary that you're going to have to pick up. That kind of sucks, but hey, we got to live and you know deal with those things. But all in all, let's be honest, if this deck is good, Ruby Amethyst isn't taking too much of a change. It's just really actually making its curve even better, which is crazy to say. Um, but all in all, Ruby Amethyst locations might very well be a thing moving forward in the metagame. There you have it, guys. Six brand new cores, a little bit of everything. Uh, I have even more to say about Into the Inklands moving forward, so be on the lookout. If you're not subscribed yet and you like videos like this, I can promise you there's going to be a lot more videos like this moving forward. So many interesting things to be done with Into the Inklands. This was mostly just a legendary shout-out, if we're being honest. So many of the legendaries are so very good uh, and introducing really powerful, unique mechanics to the game. And that is the real core, I think, to Into the Inklands that we're having. I think the power level could be close to what it was in Chapter 1. A lot of these cards are very good. They're very powerful. They could be staples in the metagame moving forward. So we'll have to see how it goes. Thank you guys so much for watching today. Again, if you're looking for more videos like this, you can take out this podcast that we did, talking our initial hot takes of it. And I can't wait to see you guys in the next video.